When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I look at every single Prime Minister from Sir Johnny MacDonald all the way up to Justin Trudeau. Before I continue, I want to say thank you to Lucas2489 and Thrill House Original, who both gave me five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. I truly do appreciate it, and it's wonderful to know that people are enjoying this series. I also want to say thank you to Reg W. and Doug Campbell, both of whom are new patrons for my podcasts. I do this full-time, so every dollar I get helps keep all of it going. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. And don't forget, Pucks and Cups and Canadian History X. As well, as From John to Justin and Pucks and Cups are ending, I have two new podcasts debuting in May and June. The first is called Canada's Great War, and it's going to debut at the beginning of May, and it looks at Canada and the First World War, and it gets pretty in-depth. My second podcast will debut in June, and it's all about the building of the Transcontinental Railway. So I really hope you enjoy those when they debut. When John Turner died last year, most news reports focused on the fact that he was Prime Minister for only a brief time. For Turner... There is much more to him than his time as Prime Minister, and in many ways he has led a life more interesting than many of the Prime Ministers who served for much longer. Born on June 7, 1929 to Leonard Hugh Turner, an English journalist, and Phyllis Gregory, a Canadian economist, in Rich England, when he was four his father died suddenly, so his Canadian mother moved the family back to Canada in 1932 and settled in Ottawa. His mother would work as a senior federal civil servant thanks to an appointment by Prime Minister R.B. Bennett. In 1941, he would hear Sir Winston Churchill speak in Ottawa since his mother knew the Prime Minister, Mackenzie King, and they were able to stand outside the House of Commons. He would say years later, quote, I could hear every word because there was loudspeakers outside so we could listen. The speech is remembered for that line, but it also mobilized Canadian public opinion and the unity of the Commonwealth. I probably did not recognize its importance at the time, but I certainly did later in life. End quote. As Churchill came down the steps, Turner's mother introduced Turner to him. According to Turner, Churchill said, quote, Good of you to be here. Good luck. End quote. Years later, Turner would say, quote, I've met a lot of people in my lifetime, but I can say without hesitation that he was the greatest person I have ever met. He was already a hero in Canada, and to me at that moment, even more so. End quote. After attending private schools in Ottawa, Turner moved with his stepfather, Frank Ross, and his mother to British Columbia, to the mountain town of Rossland, near the end of the Second World War. I actually used to live in Rossland, and I have to say it's one of the best towns I've ever lived in in my entire life. It's a wonderful community with a really interesting history I hope to explore one day. In British Columbia, his parents would both achieve prominence. His stepfather would become the Lieutenant Governor of British Columbia in 1955, while his mother would become the Chancellor of the University of British Columbia. 
Turner would enroll at the University of British Columbia in 1945, at the age of only 16 thanks to skipping two grades, and he quickly set himself apart not only as an excellent student, but one of the best sprinters in all of Canada. In 1947, he set a Canadian record in the 100-yard dash at 9.8 seconds, and in qualifying for the 1948 Olympics, he ran 9.6 seconds. Turner would say of that race, quote, The best race I was ever in was held at the Los Angeles Coliseum in 1948. Must have been 100,000 people in the stands. My time was about 9.6, but never officially recorded because I didn't win. Geez, it was phenomenal to be in that race, end quote. Unfortunately, Olympic glory would have to wait as he injured his knee in a car accident. Awarded a Rhodes Scholarship, the only Prime Minister to ever have one, Turner attended Oxford and earned a Bachelor of Arts in 1951, then a Bachelor of Civil Law in 1952, and finally a Master's in 1957. While he did well in school, he once again showed himself to be a skilled runner. While at Oxford, he ran on the track and field team and was a teammate of Roger Bannister, the first person to break the four-minute barrier in the mile. He was also a friend of Malcolm Fraser and Bob Hawke, both of whom would go on to become Prime Ministers of Australia. From 1952 to 1953, he pursued his doctorate at the University of Paris. Following his time at the university, he returned to Canada. It was around this time that Turner nearly took a different turn in his life. And while he wouldn't have become Prime Minister, he would have become a member of the royal family, if the rumours were true, and if circumstances were just a bit different. On May 19, 1959, while attending a party that his stepfather was hosting to open the new British Columbia government house, Turner began to dance with Princess Margaret, the sister of Queen Elizabeth II. At the time, she was one year younger than him, and this dance would bring Turner significant press within Canada, as many speculated about if Turner and Princess Margaret were a couple. According to letters obtained by the Daily Mail, the relationship was actually quite serious, and in one letter written in 1966, Princess Margaret wrote that she nearly married Turner. The issue was that Turner was a Roman Catholic, and in order to marry Turner, Princess Margaret would have to forfeit her place in the line of succession. According to Brenda, the sister of Turner, there was a definite attraction between the two, but Turner was not interested in being royalty, and he would not give up being a Roman Catholic. In May of 1960, when Princess Margaret married Antony Armstrong Jones, who was a roommate of Turner at one point, Turner was the only Canadian unofficial guest at the wedding. Turner and Margaret would actually remain friends for the rest of their lives, and he would often meet with her whenever he was in England or she was in Canada. In 2002, he attended the funeral of Princess Margaret. For Turner, he would eventually find love with Gales McRae Kilgore, a systems engineer with IBM and the great-niece of John McRae, the author of In Flanders Field. The couple would have a daughter, Elizabeth, and three sons, David, Michael, and Andrew. With his degrees behind his name by this point, Turner began to practice law in Montreal, working for the firm of Steichman Elliott. At this point, he was beginning to make a name for himself, and several prominent politicians were beginning to notice him. In 1957, he was recruited by C.D. Howe, who had served under William Lyon Mackenzie King to help organize a liberal re-election campaign. This would be the first taste of federal politics for Turner. Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson, who had an eye for talent, would recruit Turner to run in the 1962 election. 
Against Mr. Chambers, the Liberals are running John Turner, a youthful lawyer trained in the University of British Columbia, at Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar, and at the Sorbonne. The Liberals fondly regard him as Canada's Kennedy. He has that same gift for stirring enthusiasm in his workers and for making them work hard and love it. He sets the pace. This is a candidate's election, and the Liberals are making great efforts to field good candidates. Our first speaker is a brilliant young Montreal lawyer, John Turner, who is our candidate in the riding of St. Lawrence-St. George. Mr. Turner. Eleven days from today, some 10 million Canadians will choose the government they hope will lead the country out of its present difficulties. The most serious of these, and certainly the saddest, is our chronic unemployment. I wonder if you realize that roughly one in every 20 of those who have a vote do not have a job. That is something to think about. And while we're thinking about it, let's not forget that official report prepared at the government's request, which predicts that if present trends and policies continue, unemployment in 1963 and 1964 will be much higher than it is even now. And no wonder Mr. Diefenbaker pretends that he doesn't know anything about it. He is the same Mr. Diefenbaker who repeated time and again during the 1958 campaign, no one will suffer from unemployment while I am prime minister. In this first election campaign, Turner would win 51.9% of the vote, defeating the progressive conservative incumbent Egan Chambers, who had served in the riding since 1958. For the next several years, he would serve on the backbench and slowly grow his prominence. In 1965, he would be vacationed in Barbados and he saw John Diefenbaker, the former Prime Minister and the leader of the opposition, who just happened to be staying at the same hotel, struggling with the undertow in the water. Turner, who had spent time as a competitive swimmer, jumped in and was able to bring Diefenbaker to shore and out of danger. Turner would save the incident, quote, I was very fortunate in 1965 to be on a beach in Barbados with my wife when she said that there was someone in trouble in the water. I rushed in and grabbed him by his trunks and swam him back to safety. It was John Diefenbaker. I'm still the only non-Tory on the board of the Diefenbaker Foundation. End quote. Under Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson, Turner proved himself, in the words of his colleague, to be exceptionally loyal and respectful when dealing with other senior ministers. That loyalty was rewarded in December of 1965 when he was appointed to the cabinet, serving in various capacities, including as the Minister of Consumer and Corporate Affairs. Turner would speak about his job, comparing it to a hockey player, and he would say, quote, Tonight you scored a goal and you're a hero. Tomorrow you let a goal in and you're a bum. And that's politics. End quote. Turner was greatly liked in the House of Commons on all sides. He would often play squash with members of the official opposition, and once he went across the House of Commons floor to comfort a new Democrat member who had just confessed to having a serious criminal record. Following the resignation of Lester B. Pearson in December of 1967, Turner decided to run for the leadership of the party. Turner put himself forward as an anti-establishment candidate who wanted to lower the voting age and improve skills training for young Canadians. He would tell the convention, quote, My time is now, and now is no time for mellow men, end quote. Some of you have told me that my position on the platform this evening was a bad break. 
Number nine. Bottom of the batting order. Well, let me say this about ninth place. Better tonight than tomorrow night. <laughs> and tomorrow night will be a different story. And tomorrow night, and I want to assure all of you, and particularly my supporters, tomorrow night it will be number one. I'm not just in this race, so you will remember my name at some future date. I'm not here now for some next time. I am not bidding now for your consideration at some vague convention in 1984, perhaps when I've mellowed a bit. My time is now, and now is no time for mellow men. There were 12 candidates, including Pierre Trudeau, and Turner was the youngest of all of them. Turner would do surprisingly well. On the first ballot, he took 277 votes and increased that total to 347 votes on the second ballot. On the third ballot, he dipped to 279 votes, and on the fourth ballot, he finished with 195 votes as Pierre Trudeau took over as leader. Those 195 delegates who stuck with Turner were rumored to form the 195 Club, a group of political organizers who were waiting for the next leadership campaign for Turner. Paul Martin Sr. had run against Trudeau and Turner, and with that loss, he knew his chance of becoming Prime Minister was more or less over. According to his son, Paul Martin Jr., his father was filled with anguish. The evening of the loss, Turner called Martin and invited him and the entire family out to brunch the next day. Paul Martin Jr. would say later, quote, He didn't have to do that, but he did. End quote. Also in 1967, Turner would talk about the importance of moving up through the ranks in politics, and he would say, quote, The most unfortunate thing to happen to anybody is to come in at the top in politics. The apprenticeship is absolutely vital, and yet, the longer the apprenticeship, the more the young politician risks tiring the public, so that by the time he's ready, the public may be tired of him. End quote. Trudeau, seeing the potential in Turner, appointed him as the Justice Minister in July 1968, a position he would hold until 1972. It was in this role that he would sponsor the immense criminal code reform that decriminalized homosexuality, broadened abortion rights, and allowed for easier divorces. Turner's work on the new criminal code was instrumental in implementing the vision that Trudeau called a, quote, just society, end quote. At the same time, he created the Law Reform Commission, strengthening the rights of individual defendants on trial, which brought greater efficiency to the justice system, and he also selected highly professional judges. Ed Lumley, a cabinet minister at the time, stated that Turner offset the political weaknesses of Trudeau, stating, quote, As a team, they were terrific. End quote. During the Official Languages Act debate, which would make Canada an official bilingual nation, Turner led the government's position. During the October crisis, he would take control with Pierre Trudeau bringing in the War Measures Act, the only time that it was used during peacetime. Turner would report as Justice Minister that through the use of the Act, 497 people had been arrested, 435 of which were released, 62 were charged, and 32 were accused of crimes so serious that the Quebec Superior Court refused them bail. In 1972, 
Trudeau would move Turner to the Minister of Finance, where he would serve until 1975. In this new role, Turner would face several challenges, including the 1973 oil crisis that created the global financial crisis and the slowing down of economic growth and growing deficits in the country. He also served as the main economic interloper with the White House, and he would play tennis with George Shultz, the American Treasury Secretary, and he often had dinner with Richard Nixon, where they would iron out bilateral issues. As finance minister, Turner's positions tended to be more conservative than Trudeau's, and the two began to grow apart. The final break in his first stint in the House of Commons came after 1974's election. In that election, the Liberals attacked the Conservatives over the platform of implementing wage and price controls to deal with the economic situation. Trudeau stated that the government would not implement those controls, but in 1975, those controls were implemented. Turner soon resigned from the cabinet, and many speculated if the reversing of the controls position was related to it. He would not say why until 2013 when he confirmed that he resigned because he refused to implement the wage and price controls after campaigning against them only the year before. Trudeau would write in his own memoirs that Turner resigned as finance minister because he was tired of politics and wanted to go back to being a lawyer. There were other issues for Turner at the time. He could see the mood of the voters was changing, and he also saw that there was no possibility of taking over as leader, as Trudeau was still going strong as the leader of the party. Trudeau discussed the matter with Turner and told him to take on different cabinet posts and to remain in the government for another year, which he did. In September of 1975, the two met again to discuss the matter, and on September 9, 1975, he submitted his letter of resignation. The resignation of such a prominent cabinet minister was a huge story in Canada. Those who supported Trudeau saw Turner as being disloyal, while others saw Turner as the one who was wronged. The media tended to be on the side of Turner, praising his work in justice and finance. Turner's letter of resignation is terse and enigmatic. To paraphrase, last summer I agreed to stay on as finance minister for a year. Now I'm returning to private life. There was no reason given. Trudeau's letter accepts the resignation with deep regret, and in the last paragraph points out Turner is not quitting over policy disagreements, something Turner, intentionally or otherwise, did not say. The opposition parties believed there was a serious policy dispute. I think it was almost inevitable that Mr. Turner had to leave. Over the past year, he repeatedly said privately and then more so publicly, that he was being outvoted in cabinet when he attempted to come through with a more restrained approach to our economy. For the Liberal Party, his resignation hurt the party and its image in Canada. And rumours swirled that Turner would make a run for the leadership of the party, or try and make a bid to be the leader of the Progressive Conservatives. Instead, Turner completely quit politics in February 1976 and joined a Toronto law firm, while also serving on various company boards. In 1979, after Trudeau briefly resigned, Turner decided not to put his name forward. Four years later, Trudeau announced his retirement, and Turner decided that it was time for leadership. The announcement wasn't exactly a surprise, but it sure attracted a lot of attention. John Turner is running for leader of the Liberal Party. Bill Casey reports. There were cameras wall-to-wall -wall as John Turner walked down this hotel corridor to his news conference this morning. Mr. Turner will enter from this door over here. So we'll have that aisle cleared, please. But the aisles were still crowded when he strode into the room and up to the podium to officially lay claim to the leadership of the Liberal Party of Canada. 
Well, today I, uh, I returned to public life. 400 reporters and supporters in the room knew he was going to say that, but they'd shown up anyway. The gathering prompted one newsman to jokingly ask, If I could just touch your robe. <laughs> and you've been waiting a long time to say that too, Doug. Turner said he may be perceived as the liberal leadership frontrunner, but he's not taking anything for granted, and neither should his opponents. I believe that I have the experience for the job and the toughness to govern, tempered with compassion. In short, a blend of freshness and experience. Turner called unemployment his top priority, the federal deficit his second. He said he'd cut the deficit, but left the details for another time. And it won't be done on the backs of the unemployed, and it won't be done on the backs of the aged, and it won't be done on the backs of the poor, and it won't be done on the backs of the sick. But we're going to have to look carefully at our, our expenditure side, and we're going to have to look at taxation. On the controversial Manitoba language question, his tone was conciliatory to the province. I support the spirit of the parliamentary resolution. But I think we have to recognize that uh, what uh, is at issue here is a provincial initiative. And uh, that a solution will have to be provincial. Turner went to great pains to sound like a man who was prepared to look at both sides of a question. It was the stance of a candidate who has just planted both feet in the middle of the road. In the 1984 leadership convention, Turner went up against future Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. On the first ballot, he finished with 1,593 votes, and on the second ballot, won with 1,862 votes. Chrétien, whose own turn would come, was 500 votes behind Turner. Good evening. For the first time in more than eight years, John Turner was back in the House of Commons. He hadn't set foot there since he resigned as a member of Parliament in February of 1976. He was back this afternoon as the new leader of the Liberal Party, and a leader whose seat was in the visitor's gallery. Bill Casey reports. John Turner looked right at home on Parliament Hill. He popped into offices to greet secretaries and shook hands with security guards wherever he went. He made his way to the House of Commons to the visitor's gallery and beamed as all parties offered congratulations and urged him to call a federal election. And Mr. Speaker, I want to tell you that we on this side are ready to go the moment our leader I want to assure my honorable friend that uh, we are, we too, are ready, willing, and more than able to, uh, to uh, uh, deal with the writ. I hope that Mr. I hope that, uh, that Mr. Turner will, when he assumes the post of Prime Minister, move quickly to have the writs issued in order that the question of who should govern Canada be cleared up once and for all. I, I look forward after that to welcome him into the House of Commons. Then Turner was off to a news conference where there was more political jabbing. Turner was told of a Brian Mulroney comment that in choosing John Turner to succeed Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the Liberal Party had just changed head waiters. It depends where you are in the restaurant. Um, and uh, uh, I, I like to resist the temptation as who's, who's going to be the head waiter and who's going to be the busboy. Turner has already moved to unite the Liberals for an election. He said he met Jean Chrétien for an hour last night and offered him a major role in his new administration. We didn't get down to the details of what that would be. We, we talked about the leadership campaign. We talked about the convention. We talked about each other. 
And uh, I assured him he would have a major role and partnership in the next government of Canada. And this morning he received a call of congratulations from U.S. President Ronald Reagan. Said that I hoped that we would share this continent with friendship and understanding. And uh, he also told me there was an open date for me to visit him uh, at our mutual convenience in Washington. On June 30th, 1984, Turner became the 17th Prime Minister of Canada. This is unique because at the time, Turner was neither a senator nor an MP, and if he summoned Parliament, he could not have appeared on the floor of the House of Commons. He could have announced that he would run in a by-election, but instead he chose to run in the next election in the riding in Vancouver. This was unusual because typically in Canadian history, the new leader would run in a safe seat, allowing the newly elected leader to get a chance to serve in Parliament. The seat he was going after was also currently held by the Progressive Conservatives. But there was a reason for this for Turner. He wanted to rebuild the Liberal Party in Western Canada, which had no seats west of Winnipeg. While not required to call an election until 1985, he saw Liberals leading in the polls and decided to call an election for September 4, 1984. He would have the Governor-General dissolve Parliament on July 9th, only nine days after he was sworn in. In his speech calling for the election, he would state, quote, It is my view, and I so indicated to Her Excellency, and indeed the Queen, that an election is necessary at this time. 1,400,000 Canadians are unemployed and need jobs. End quote. After talking about the public debt, unemployment, and the international financial situation, he would state, quote, This Parliament has run its course, and I sense that the people of Canada want and should have a choice and an opportunity to clear the air. End quote. The election campaign was not a good one for Turner, and the Liberals were trailing Progressive Conservatives by 20 points. The Conservatives were actually caught off guard by the decision to call an election. They'd believed Turner would tour Canada through summer first, occupying Queen Elizabeth II and Pope John Paul II, both of whom were touring the country that year. His proposal to create jobs with work projects was also seen as outdated, and his campaign style was also seen as something from the past. Another issue was he was caught on camera patting Liberal Party President Iona Capanolo on the posterior. He defended it as a friendly gesture, but many saw it as being condescending to women. The big gaffes were Mr. Turner's comments on language rights in Manitoba and in Quebec. Twice he had to clarify what he meant. His aide said it was because he was rusty. Mr. Turner's been out of public life since 1975. The campaign organizers hope there won't be any more big mistakes. But they are worried about the little things. They'd like to stop him from making off-the-cuff comments like this one to a group of women liberals in Toronto. Mr. Minister and Senator Neiman and ladies and uh, gentlemen of the press. Six or seven women reporters covered the meeting. They were not amused. Their mouths dropped open. They asked aloud, what about us? No big deal, perhaps, but it's the little things that build up and get magnified. In St. Catharines, Ontario, the lunchtime head table was all male. It became even more obvious when the chairman decided he'd correct the oversight by introducing several prominent women liberals in the audience. Turner Aid's vow, that won't happen again. The organizers want to be in control of every situation. They blame the controversy over Quebec's Bill 101 and what reporters call a scrum. Reporters chased Mr. Turner through a hotel lobby, firing questions as they went. He stopped one answer in mid-flight to take a question from another direction. In the melee, he gave only a partial answer, one that he had to clarify later on. 
In Winnipeg, it became obvious the aides don't like freewheeling question and answer sessions. For that matter, Mr. Turner doesn't seem to like them either. Um, how much longer do I go here? The, uh, how, will you, how will you resolve or go about... Mr. Turner was anything? obviously uncomfortable. His aides frantically signaled the chairman to end it all. He even seemed nervous during his major Western policy speech. He called for a new national partnership, a partnership to ease the sense of frustration and alienation that's grown in the West over the past two decades. Some of the material was new, but for the most part, Mr. Turner dealt with themes he touched on before. Problems with the PA system may have contributed to his unease. Turner also failed to cancel the appointment by Trudeau of 200 liberals to government patronage posts such as senators, judges, executives on Crown corporations, and more. On top of not cancelling the appointments, he added more than 70 of his own. And this caused outrage in Canada. During the debate, he was attacked by Brian Mulroney over it, and Turner responded that he had no option, but he had to let them stand. If I felt I owed it to the Canadian people, and I did, an apology for bantering about the subject, you, sir, owe the Canadian people a deep apology, for having indulged in that kind of practice with those kinds of appointments. Well, I've told you and told the Canadian people, Mr. Mulroney, that I had no option. Well, Truman, your next you, question, you had an option, sir. You could have said, I am not going to do it. This is wrong for Canada, and I am not going to ask Canadians to pay the price. You had an option, sir, to say no, and you chose to say yes I... to the old attitudes and the old stories of the Liberal Party. That, sir, if I may say respectfully, that is not good enough for Canadians. I had no option. I was able that to is an avowal of failure. That is a confession I, of non-leadership. And this country needs leadership. You had an option, sir. Mr. You Turner, could have done better. Mr. Turner, your response, please. I, I, I've just said, uh, Mr. Moderator, taken the Canadian people through the circumstances. Mr. Trudeau had every right to make those appointments before he resigned. In order that he not do so, yes, I had to make a commitment to him. Otherwise, I was advised that with serious consequences to the Canadian people, I could not have been granted the opportunity of forming a government. Another issue, and one of the biggest, was the fact that Turner was leading the Liberals, who were heavily associated with Trudeau, and for many, his legacy at the time was anything but positive. In the 1984 election, the Liberal Party was reduced to 40 seats, losing most of its seats in Quebec. Turner was able to keep his own seat, but he resigned as Prime Minister on September 17th. In the election, the party would lose 11 cabinet ministers, and it was the worst defeat for the Liberals since 1958. Turner then took the role as leader of the official opposition. For the next four years, Turner worked to rebuild the Liberal Party, and by 1987, the Liberals were leading in the polls once again. And this was a huge turnaround because in 1984, Turner and the Liberals polled lower than even the NDP, who had 30 seats. Many felt that the Canadian Liberals would soon fade into oblivion, but that would not be the case. The Liberals and Turner proved to be highly effective as the official opposition. They had control of the Senate, which allowed them to stall the legislation of Mulroney, and a new group of Liberal MPs, including Sheila Copps and Brian Tobin, who were called the Rat Pack, were pestering Mulroney constantly in the House of Commons. But despite these inroads, there were rumours that the party was unhappy with Turner, there was a belief that Chretien would soon take over. With the new election now looming, the main issue of the election was the free trade agreement with the United States, known as NAFTA. The agreement would see the abolishment of most tariffs on the border, and a new process for dealing with trade disputes would be created. 
Labour unions, many Canadians, and the arts community opposed it, while corporations wanted the agreement. Turner would accuse Mulroney of selling out Canada to the United States after the agreement. In their debate, Turner was ready for Mulroney this time, and he would not be caught off guard as he had in 1984. In regards to NAFTA, he stated, quote, With one signature of a pen, you turned Canada into a colony of the United States. Because when the economic leaders go, the political independence is sure to follow. End quote. Why, when your primary objective was to get unfettered and secure access into the American market, we didn't get it? Why you didn't put clauses in to protect our social programs in this negotiation that we'll have on the definition of subsidies where the heavy weight of the American Republic will be put in against us? Why did that not happen? Why also did we get a situation where we surrendered our entire energy policy to the United States, something they've been trying to achieve since 1956 under the Paley Commission? Why did we abandon our farmers? Why did we open our capital markets so that a Canadian bank can be bought up and we don't, have, we don't have reciprocal rights into the American market at all? Why did you remove any ability to control the Canadian ownership of our business? These are questions that Canadians deserve to have an answer to, and we have not had an opportunity in six hours to deal with them in a way that would make you come out of your shell. I happen to believe that you've sold us out. I happen to believe that once you Mr. And Turner, just, 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 just one second. Like once any you nation, do not, you do not have a monopoly what? on patriotism, what? What? and I resent what? the fact that your implication that only you are a Canadian. I, I want to tell you that I come from a Canadian once, family, and once, I love Canada, once, and that's any, why I did it to promote prosperity. Country, and don't you impugn my motives? Once Don't a country you my yields or anyone else's. Once a country yields its its energy. We have not Once done Once a it. country yields its agriculture. Wrong Once again. a country opens itself up to a subsidy war with the United States Wrong in again. terms of definition, then the political ability you, of this country to sustain the influence of the United States to remain as an Mr. independent nation, that Mr. is lost Turner. forever. Mr. And that's Turner. the issue of this election. Mr. Turner. Most commentators felt that Turner had been the better of the two men in the debate. This raised his poll numbers, and the Liberals began to hope that they may even win a majority. But in the election, the Liberals doubled their seats to 83, and Mulroney and the Progressive Conservatives still won that majority. In 1990, Turner resigned as the leader of the Liberal Party and was replaced by Jean Chrétien. Turner remained in the House of Commons until 1993, the same year the Liberals returned to power using the foundation that Turner had built in the 1980s. In 1990, he returned to his career as a lawyer while sitting on various boards. He would also voice his support for the campaign for the establishment of a United Nations Parliamentary Assembly. In 1994, he was presented with the Companion of the Order of Canada. In 2004, he was part of the Canadian delegation that monitored the Ukrainian presidential election runoff vote. In that same year, he was inducted into the University of British Columbia Sports Hall of Fame. In 2012, he was awarded the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. In 2017, he was awarded the Gold Medal of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society. Turner was also highly involved in charitable organizations, including serving as an honorary director of the World Wildlife Fund. He was well known for his calls to protect the rivers and lakes of Canada, and Turner would sit down with Ontario Premier Ernie Eves, who led the province from 2002 to 2003, to persuade him to donate the lake bed of Western Lake Superior to create the largest protected freshwater reserve in the world. On September 18, 2020, Turner passed away. A state funeral was held on October 6, 2020, 
and he was buried at Mount Pleasant Cemetery, joining Mackenzie King, who was also buried there. His political opponent, Brian Mulroney, would state upon Turner's death that he was, quote, destined for great success and a politician who never believed in the politics of personal destruction, end quote. The Department of Canadian Heritage would say, quote, Through three decades of public service as a cabinet minister, leader of the opposition and 17th Prime Minister of Canada, he was tirelessly devoted to upholding Canadian values and principles, end quote. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau would state on Twitter, quote, John Turner was one of a kind, an honourable gentleman and an upstanding Canadian. John cared deeply about democracy, equality and those he served. His optimistic outlook, energetic approach and tireless service inspired many, and our country is a better place for it. End quote. Canada is honouring the life of former Prime Minister John Turner, who died at the age of 91. Dubbed Canada's Kennedy, Turner governed for just 70, 79 days in the summer of 1984. He first arrived in Ottawa to work in Parliament back in the 1960s. Former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney also remembering Turner as an honourable politician who tirelessly fought to progress this country. John Turner was one of the gentlemen in Canadian politics. And I can tell you there are very few of them. He was a strong debater. He was tough as nails in his attacks, but he never sank to the politics of personal destruction that we see so often now here in Canada and in the United States. He was above that. Turner passed away peacefully at his home on Friday night. John always noted that democracy doesn't happen by accident. He knew we could rise to any challenge and meet any moment if we believed in one another and stood together. Today, more than ever, we need more people like John. I'll close out this episode with a quote from Turner, which he said to the Globe and Mail in 2009. Democracy doesn't happen by accident. You've got to work at it. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at John Turner. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Doug Campbell, Reg W, Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-E-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from the New York Times, Canadian Encyclopedia, CBC, CTV News, Wikipedia, Library and Archives Canada, City News, Ottawa Citizen, UBC, WWF, and everything Zoomer. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.